I like this a lot. Yeah, it's nice. I can kind of like press my mouth against it, and I'm not like not getting those not getting those plosions. <laughs> we can finally be a beatboxing <laughs> yeah, podcast yeah. like we always wanted. Yeah, the real point of us. Beef station. See, couldn't have done that. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew and I got a great ass. <laughs> That's a reference to the movie that we watched this week. I'm Oscar and Andrew's got a great ass. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, Love it. Welcome back for another fortnight. Uh, here we are. This week we are covering a, 19, <laughs> a 1995 crime drama called Heat. Directed by Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's well, with two M's. Well known, and it was apparently very... <laughs> heat. <laughs> um, heat from 1995. <laughs> from 1995. Damn, was... he's got two M's and two N's. Damn, that's a nightmare. Think about it's that Michael shit. Mann with two M's. <laughs> he's going to move his pen up and down so many <laughs> fucking times in his name. <laughs> with two M's. Sorry, was that M or N? Yeah, both. It doesn't it's matter. It's like me, i got a... Uh, M W I in my last name, and it's just like it's so fucking annoying. That's why people have so annoying. People have criticized my signature because I just flatline it during that bit. It's like I'm not moving my pen up and down twelve fucking times. Are you kidding me? I'm just going to draw a straight line through this bit. H, full stop. That's that's how I write my signature. Good stuff. And I imagine he does the same thing because we think the same because we're very smart. Stick to the end to find out how I write my signature. <laughs> um, this movie, uh, I, I mentioned ages ago. Um, oh, we have actually oh, watched yeah, Heat this right. week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we really did it. That we've been no trying bit, to watch. No bit, we watched it. <laughs> we really did watch Heat. You God, it would have been so fucking funny if we just said, okay, yep, we're doing it. We're watching Heat this episode, and then we just do an hour of beefness or pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> just cut that. That might be what happens, bro. We might run out of power. Maybe. Anything could happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still hasn't, until, oh, we, good until we sign off, I'm not entirely convinced that we're ever going to do this fucking movie. Yeah. But ba- <laughs> I mentioned we were doing it to someone fucking a month ago at this point, and yep. they said, oh, that's that movie. It was, And they said it was like famous and hyped at the time for being the first movie pretty much that had Al Pacino and Robert De Niro in it together. I believe. Since The Godfather. Since The Godfather Part 2. But The Godfather Part 2, I suppose they both, they were out, but, but you know, in the 20 years intervening, they become like Hollywood legends and Hollywood icons. And I suppose it's like, how crazy is it that they both still keep, still kept on doing these mobster movies, these drama mm. crime movies and have never been in another one together. Yeah. So this yeah. was this was the first movie since The Godfather Part Two that they had been in together. Um, that's what we're going to cover later on the show. I think the reason why we wanted to watch it just it was just because it was one of those it was showing at the cinema as like a vintage screening of classic movies, and we had yeah. already looked at it and been <laughs> no, like, we wanted to watch heard it this anyway. Is great. That's why we delayed yeah. it, and that like because oh, that's we, right. Yeah, yeah, we delayed <laughs> it because it was shown at the movies, and we were like, oh fuck, we'll go see it there then. Yeah. Glad we did. Glad we yeah. did. Um, and also considering that it's the um. It's like it's like almost three hours long. It's two hours forty five plus credits or something. Yeah, it's a six um, of the Irishman. <laughs> Still relevant? Yeah. Yes. Um, it's a. I'm glad we saw it in the cinema because it's the sort of movie where I'm glad. Like I would have been on my fucking. Oh phone yeah, I know you would have been on that. I would have been like even at home. I would have paused it to get up to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And like I'm glad that like with this one you sort of felt 
there's a lot of films that are good that I'm glad I forced myself Strap to Strap in, bitch. You're in this room, in yeah, this exactly. seat for the next three hours. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yep. that's what we're doing later in the show. In the meantime, though, we got a bit of, a bit of news, mm-hmm. a bit of uh, other affairs, other events to cover. Possibly. Uh, poss- maybe two. I've been told to play at Koi. <laughs> um, that, was, that was good, wasn't That it? was a bit weird, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. But in the meantime... Should we kick oh, it off? Touch that dial. <laughs> Should we kick it off with the news? Yeah, let's do it. Beef bullet. All right, so uh, a couple headlines here. Yeah, spoiler alert for this week, folks. None of it's good news. <laughs> oh no, none <laughs> of it. A, f- <laughs> a fair few delays this week. I oh think. yeah. First delay. James Bond. James Bond has been delayed until April 2021. Good stuff. Glad we put so much fucking effort <laughs> into talking about this cunting movie. <laughs> Not to be outdone yep. by their own headline, they have now announced that there is going to be a James Bond official podcast. <laughs> Fuck off. Where they, there's going to be six uh. episodes that focus on No Time to Die. No Time to Die, the official James Bond... Oh, God. The ad just loaded in and jumped me. No Time to Die, the official James Bond podcast, consists of six episodes focusing on various things that make Bond Bond, including music, gadgets... Gadgets? <laughs> cars, luxurious uh, locations... Something of a gadgets <laughs> myself. And more. Okay. As interviews with... Uh, the Daniel- more is... Uh, Having sex with really good-looking people. Fuck, three of the episodes are about having sex oh, with yeah. Anna de Armas. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> um, interviews with Daniel Craig and I other major cast trailer. members. Boy, I'm just going to say it. She looks good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She I'm not watching good. any more of the trailers. I'm going to watch it. No, uh, I, I accidentally copped it and was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Um, it was going to come out November this year. Mm. Now it's being delayed for the second time. April next year. Yep. So, fuck. I mean, first they came for my Beatles movie and I said nothing. Well, like, this shit's done, right? Just what? Just yeah, put it's it done. out. Yeah, it's done. Just That's put it out, you fucking idiot. Is that they're sitting on a finished movie right. being like, when can we release this and make the most money? Yeah, when do we get the most juice out of this lemon? Yeah. Okay, well, fucking never. So, just put it out and then... Get it up on a yeah. streaming service fucking ASAP. What streaming service has James Bond movies? Is it Stan? Stan does... Some yeah, bullshit. Whatever. Fuck it. Make it Stan pay you $400 million for the next <laughs> James Bond movie. That's you know, how you make any money. Do you know how much Disney Plus charges for new-release movies? Like $35 or some shit. On top of a subscription. I know. <laughs> you have to be paying for a monthly subscription Absolute to Disney Plus and yeah. then pay $35 for a rental. Yeah. Yeah, but then they release it like at some point, and it's part of their main shit. So I feel like it's cheaper to go watch the fucking grand final. Yeah, I feel like they're just making people not see it when it first comes out because people are just gonna be like thirty bucks. It's out in December. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah, it's bullshit. Um, Speaking of delays, speaking of movies, Mm. speaking of delayed movies. Yep. Denis Villeneuve's June yep. is moving to late 2021. Fucking rest in peace, dude. Late 2021. That is a big delay. October 2021. Yeah, this year so is meant to be out soon. It's been delayed by a year. Yeah. That is that is crazy. That is yep. really crazy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, more for you. 
anyone that had hope and wanted to see that movie must yeah, suck fuck. to be excited for something ever. And I told you not to be, and you were. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I never really read the book or anything, so I don't really have as much of an, as an, as much of an emotional investment in it or whatever. But I just really love Villeneuve. I, f- I feel like it must just be like a financial thing because there's... Yeah, they must be playing the game. They must have to release to the US. Yeah. Because like, yeah. the US is the only place where I think... And I don't even know what the fuck... Because I thought, right, when I heard about the James Bond delay, I thought like, what? Yeah, but isn't... The Tenet came out, yeah. Isn't everything in the States... Like, obviously they shouldn't be, but I thought everything yeah. in the States was open again because they were like, well, sorry, folks. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to no. have to die for money. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it would be fine, but clearly they don't think it's profitable enough that it's worth releasing. Or it's some, like, um, a bunch of video games did this where they delayed it because they couldn't guarantee that everyone would get it at the same time and they didn't want to, like, uh, some people to spoil it for other global markets, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so, you'd want to come at roughly the same time. I've got an article here but, about yeah. the Tenet box office. Because right. we haven't, I mean, our episodes are always delayed by the time we end up posting them. But, mm. you know, in comparison to what we talked about last time, because this is about, you know, movies coming out in the middle of this pandemic. Lucky this the entire is... industry slowed to a crawl to match us. <laughs> so I've got an article that's dated October 4th saying Tenet tops $300 million globally, but domestic box office is in crisis mode. And they, they're talking about the idea that... Um, domestic being US. Domestic being the US, right. yeah. Talking about the idea that they had uh, barely made any money in the US compared to their international figure. Shit. Okay. So the international total is $262 million at the box office out of a total three hundred. God, yeah. Out of it's a like total $300 million. Oh. <laughs> so they made like less Ooh, than... Oh, shit. Yeah. So, it, so out of a total $300 million, $260 million is internationally. I am so maybe really, like, really that's, that's shocked. That's crazy. How much the US must be responsible for the box office numbers of movies. That yeah. is really, really wild. So, so this says here that normally that amount of money, that amount of money being taken from a movie with a budget of two hundred million dollars, would would sort of be a bit of a disaster. Oh yeah. But they're saying that considering the fact that it's been released in the middle of a fucking pandemic, you can sort of look on it a bit more favorably and say, yeah. oh well, it's been it's been well done. I'm still confused about whether marketing costs come into it or not, or whether or not they really have lost no, money. No, the, apparently they are marketing costs. Yeah. So from what I understand from a mate of mine who's currently studying producing, when you see the <laughs> when you see the box office figures uh on a film, like on the Wikipedia yeah. sorry, not box office, when you see the uh budget, budget. figure, double it and that's what the marketing that's crazy. So that if you double it, you're including the marketing costs. It's usually like as, as much yeah. as the rest of the budget of the film. That's crazy. So like, no, this shit has not made money, which just makes me wonder. Or like, maybe it hasn't. Uh, that's not particularly accurate. But yeah, like, yeah. Well, they that's, said that, no. That makes sense based thumb. on that article we covered a few episodes ago right, about right. how they weren't going to make their money back, and we were like, these numbers don't line up. What the right, fuck? right, right, right. Yep. So, um, what's crazy about that is it, it's thrown into question for me the entire. Uh, f- machinations of the fucking film industry. Yeah. Because, like, is every studio waiting for their Avengers Endgame that just makes them a billion dollars? And they're like, okay, cool. Dusting our hands off, that's the next 10 movies paid for. Well, like, every studio has to make literally double its money back on all their movies. Yeah. Because I know that a a success isn't... Like, I read in some place once that a success is triple its budget. 
Yeah. Right. And so what I'm assuming is, okay, cool. So you've tripled its budget. All the budget is back. All the marketing costs are recouped. And then you've got like, yeah, the budget's the worth profit. of profit on top of that. That yeah. makes sense to me now. But that never happens. No. Like maybe with like, I don't know, Fast and Furious or some shit. But it, uh, most movies, like A24 movies, like I don't think, I don't think they're getting their budget back on like good time you know, well, like those I, movies aren't marketed like crazy, though. Maybe no. that's maybe the model yeah, behind that is getting movies to sort of, yeah, they're on a much lower budget. They don't have to spend as much on the marketing. Yeah, you get Mostly we- weirdos that go and watch those movies. Super no matter what curious they are. about like how the fuck they actually. I mean, I think the economics of the film industry are actually quite interesting and mortifying on a deeply existential level. But, <laughs> have um, you heard about the Hollywood accounting shit where like? Empire Strikes Back has made no money. Yeah, they'll on just paper. write everything off to tax, so the film technically makes no money, and they don't pay any tax on the profit. Yep, shit yep. like that. Awful. Yeah, awful. And stuff. like people awful that stuff. have uh, apparently, there's like this is like apparently, 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 third hand information. Like writers Gossip maybe corner. that have like some sort of stake in like, oh, you make more money if the film makes a profit, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't get paid because the film on paper didn't make any money. Right. Yeah. Apparently, Stan. Apparently, there was some early comic book movie where Stan Lee had some deal like that, and they were like, "Oh, sorry, Spider Man Two never made any money, Stan Lee." Right. And he took them to court. About yeah. It. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, sticking up for Stan Lee, the little guy, but yeah, you know, so, yeah. yeah. No, they're just got run, another one here. run by the worst people on the planet. Yep. Uh, Avatar 2 Great. is apparently completely finished its principal photography. And Avatar 3 Avatar is, 3 is 95%. 95% done, sort Good. of. So we're uh, almost 200% through the next two <laughs> Avatar pre-production processes. So we're all set until about 2024. Yep. So stay tuned for that. Uh, another big... Folks, another... that episode is just going to be me screaming for four hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> another big movie, uh, bit of news here, is that there's a new Borat movie coming out. Yeah, there is. <laughs> this is so <laughs> wild. There's a new Borat With, movie. Like, no hype. No, yeah, it's just saving like, oh, it's coming out next month yeah, or it's, some it's shit. coming out at the end of October. Yeah. He's already dropped a this trailer. Is, actually, this is Borat 2. This yeah. is so crazy. Yeah. It's just Borat 2. The marketing photo is him wearing a mankini again but the mankini yeah. is a coronavirus mask oh, covering God. his balls yep <laughs> good. Uh, good. There's, there's a video where he dresses up he like bombs a Mike Pence rally dressed oh, up as yeah, Trump or something this. yeah 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 yep. Trump be coming out with like no notice at all yeah so that's coming I haven't out seen the, the first Borat I know it's not the first one but people told me it was good in like it's own like edgy kind of way I think if you were a 15 year old yeah. Guy, it was fucking the best movie I've ever seen. Yeah. It's like uh, I was listening to something recently, and they put it. They used exactly these two examples of Borat and uh, Team America yeah. as like films that are perfect if you're if you if were fifteen, if 15 and a guy yeah. when they came out. And it's like I miss both of those movies when they came out. And I feel like they've always been on my list of like, oh yeah, I got to get around to watching that. And Borat. as I've gotten older, they've gotten like Less further appealing. and further down on my list because I'm just like, I don't think they're meant for me anymore. Well, there's a yeah. certain type of edgy comedy that um, some could argue was never funny, but stuff like using like gay as a punchline yeah. jumps sure. out to me as something that like, might have been used a lot in Borat. I think it is. There's a bit of that in Borat. I'm sure. Um, a bit it also like, came out in like what 2000. Yeah, a bit of like maybe ironic gay Ten. panic type stuff that I still I still don't really like. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. Don't find as funny. We see a question with like, ooh. I'm sure. Um, here's another one. Did Borat actually come out in 2010? <laughs> Something like yeah, it was crazy. 2006. It was a long Fuck. time ago. Fuck. Yeah. Man. Yep. Next. 
Are you familiar with the concept of like a monarchy? Yes. Right? Somewhat. Like the leader of a monarchy would be uh a king or a, a queen. A king? Yeah. Or a great. queen, yep. Apparently um, a queen. You know like you know like cats? Yes. Can you think of like a cat but bigger? With like a big hairy donut around its face? A pussy queen. <laughs> it's gonna be a Lion King sequel coming out. Oh. A sequel to the live action Lion King movie. Oh. And it's gonna be directed by John Favreau. Moonlight's Barry Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of that, bro? I'm director upset. Director of Moonlight and If Bill Street Could Talk is now apparently doing a Lion King live action sequel. Get that bag, brother. Disney You is, get paid. <laughs> Disney is pushing uh, pushing forward on a follow up to the to that the twenty nineteen film with uh, an initial script from the same guy who adapted the animated movie for this live action one. Okay. Uh, no, no, no news as of yet as to whether it's going to take influence from the straight to video sequel Simba's Pride. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Is, yeah. is it a remake of the Second Lion King? That rocks. So okay, unsure. Um, unsure. Right. Deadlines. Uh, the deadline article uh. that Empire is writing about here suggests that it could follow the Godfather Part Two or Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again route of being both a sequel and a prequel, depicting partially Mufasa's origin story and then also sequel stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's the news. That's all we got. It's a lot of allegedly, allegedly, allegedly type stuff. Yep. Um, There's no release date yet for it. Expected to arrive no sooner than 2022, given the sheer amount of digital production involved. Jesus. Cool. I got one last headline. Uh, you know Rick Moranis? I do. Yeah, he got punched in the <laughs> fucking head. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> someone punched. Someone punched Rick Moranis in the head. Yeah, they did. Uh, in New York, Rick City. Moranis is the guy who said, "Am I not turtly enough for the Turtle Club?" I believe, and was also Darth Helmet in Spaceballs. <laughs> Here we go. Here's a video of Rick Moranis getting punched in the head. Boom! It's really weird. Like it's just this dude walking along, and he just smacks. So, this randomly random whacks dude him in, in the head. head. I don't even think he knew who or... I don't think... He was they, like, I fucking hated Honey Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, I don't think the assailant knew he was punching Rick Moranis. But <laughs> <laughs> just decided to punch a random guy. And it happened to be one of the most prolific comedy actors of the 80s and 90s. Well, he also like has retired for like Very 20 years, strange. right? Yeah, and he's he somehow also beloved. I'm convinced this is linked to the ad that he just did with Ryan Reynolds for that mobile phone company. Yeah. Where he came out of retirement. The whole point is that he's playing Rick Moranis coming out of retirement to do this right. one ad. Maybe this dude was from a rival telco. <laughs> like, he was like, yeah, that's what you get. AT&T took him down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the big news here is that Rick Moranis has sent out an update on the unprovoked attack on him in New yep. York saying he is fine. He's grateful for everyone's thoughts and well wishes. That's good, because he's like 65 or some shit. Yeah, uh, fucking love Rick Moranis. He's he's in Ghostbusters. He went down real hard, so I was worried about him. I was worried about my boy. He plays this great dweeb character in Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, classic comedy character actor. Mm -hmm. Um, Really fantastic. Sorry to hear he got fucking king hit. Sorry to hear he got punched in the head. (laughs) Sorry about about you getting cow punched. I mean, obviously I was upset when I heard that he got hit, but part of me was like, oh boy, that's a headline for the podcast. Well, now he's fine. It's like, yeah, it's kind of in in keeping with the character. It's very on brand for us. 
It's yep. been a bit of news that won't date very easily yeah, in the exactly. two weeks. Well, most of our listeners, I guarantee you, are going to be like, who the fuck is Rick Moranis? <laughs> <laughs> He's, hey, yeah, Google kids. him, you absolutely know who this fucker is. He's the dude with the fucked glasses from yep. Ghostbusters. Now imagining, and now imagine him. But like... Aged horizontally 35 years <laughs> and exactly 90 degrees rotated to the left and that's what this news story is getting at <laughs> yep. once again sorry you got coward punch dude that sounds go. like it fucking sucks alright next All thing right. no, yeah. no sorry that's the news next segment should we kick into beefness or pleasure let's do it here comes the music business pleasure business pleasure business pleasure business pleasure business Pleasure. Of course, the segment where every week we prepare very rigorous, dedicated, detailed notes on the film with picks. So this week we're covering Michael Mann's Heat. But we're not all business. We do, bit of, we do fun and games, a bit of pleasure as well. So we're going to catch you up on some of the stuff we've been watching in the last couple of weeks that's just for us, just for our time. You yep. should be grateful we're even fucking talking hey, about Hey, that's it. my time. Back off. I want that time. <laughs> I'm going to use it to watch movies that I like. This time, we're paying tax on this time, baby, because mm. it ain't for business. It's for pleasure. It's for personal use. What have you, wa- <laughs> you been watching, boy? Uh, you go first. Damn. I watched... Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, cool. Last okay, week. Yep. I'd never seen it, but I had sort of had it hyped up to me a couple of times that it's got a really great soundtrack, and I sort of seen it enough times, and I really like George Clooney, and I thought, all right, fuck, I'll watch it. Yep. And the hurdle that I had to get over was that it's not available on streaming services, so I had to like find a place and fucking download it. And, right. You know, so... Every time I sat down to watch a movie, they'd be like, oh, I'm not putting $3. It's great. It's so good. It's a Coen Brothers movie. It came out in. It came out 20 years ago in the year 2000. It is set in the south of the US in the 30s. And it's like these yep. three convicts that have escaped from a chain gang that are sort of trying to get free, trying to find this treasure that one of them buried before he got arrested. It's really good fun. It's really funny. I, I feel like the Coen Brothers movies have a broad spectrum of the sort of tones that you can expect from them. This is a lot more on the comedic side of things, like a burn after reading kind of thing, or maybe like a um, you know how Fargo's kind of goofy almost. It's, yeah, it's very funny, it's funny and like um, it's almost because it's got this like these performance to oh, camera you, have you musical seen it? pieces. Yeah, yeah, I thought I was convinced you had also seen it because at no. some point I watched this shit in high school. Right, so we must have been in a different English. Must class been a different English class. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't seen it. Yeah, uh, well, see, so yeah, it's it's very goofy. It's, stuff. it's very sort I of. I am a man. Yeah, <laughs> that's the movie yeah. that got me watching it because. Uh, Bob, song. Bob Dylan does a version of that. That's an old folk That's song. That's a sick um, song. And it's it's done really well in the movie. Yeah, it's good. I uh, listen to that song sometimes anyway. There you go. Yeah. Um, and it's got, a, it's got a really good broad spectrum of other like old Americana folk music that I've recently trying to be familiarize myself a bit more with as I've been sort of kicking back in on old Bob Dylan stuff, which is sort of what motivated mm. me to get this. It's so much fun. I think it's one of the better Coen Brothers movies I've ever seen. I like, I think I've watched all the sort of Coen Brothers greatest hits type stuff. And so I know they've got heaps of movies that I'm probably never going to get around to watching. But all the ones yeah. I've watched so far, I've really liked. And this has been up there with them. I would say I put this on the same sort of tone as like 
the Ballad of Buster Scruggs or like Burn After Reading in terms of like a goofy kind of style to him. Right. Um, Cinematography is still by Roger Deakins, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know you love the boy. I sort of, I didn't, I didn't notice the cinematography much. I'm sure it was great, but I, I, didn't, I didn't notice sort of, it either. It was very sort it. of, very serviceable in a way that I think made, made it easy to watch the film, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Some great, I remember a very yellow color grade. Some yeah. great performances by Clooney. Um, Clo- George Clooney is all, is so great. And he's also in Burn After Reading, which might be my yeah. favorite Coen Brothers movie. That That's one of those movies that like made me laugh until I cried when I watched it. It's so funny. Got to be one of the last performances by John Goodman, right? Oh, he's John not Goodman's dead. John Goodman's still alive. <laughs> I always get him confused with John Candy. Uh, yeah, right. Because yeah, they're both fat, Real funny fat. bastards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple people that are in Colin Brothers movies that always break me out of it. And John Goodman kind of breaks me out of performances I see him in because I'm like, oh, it's John Goodman. Right. Right. In a way, not right with in. George Clooney. <laughs> George Clooney somehow I sort of hey, like... it's a Nescafe guy. Yeah. <laughs> Espresso. Oh, George yep. Clooney somehow I sort of like... I don't know. I can sort of still get into it, but like John Goodman just feels so John Goodman-y right. to me in a way it where make like any sense. No, I know it doesn't. But like, <laughs> I, I I just really sort of like I'm like, oh, that's John Goodman. But whereas with George Clooney, I can sort of like sink myself into his character a bit more and not really notice it as much. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, you have broken brain. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have much on it, but I really enjoyed it and I think it's worth watching. Mm. If you like Colin Brothers, if you like any, it's a comedy. It's more it's more comedy than drama. So if you like if you like laughing. Then, then watch Oh what's Brother, the, Where Art Thou. Oh just Brother, to get, Where Art Thou. Get people uh, a little enticed. What's the overall storyline? So it's like this band of thieves and what George, do they want? George Clooney robbed a bank and buried a million dollars. Right. And he knows where it is. And they were all chained up together in this chain gang. So they, and they had jump to, off a train. Oh, uh, well, I mean, at some point in the movie. That's not right. how they break away. Yeah, oh, okay. they, all had to br- they all had to escape together and they had been sort of chained together while they were in this chain gang. So George Clooney buried a million dollars and he was like, if you guys escape with me and come along with me while we're all fucking chained up, then I'll show you where the million dollars is and we can split it three ways. Right. And I think George Clooney has like a, a family or something he wants to get back to you or one of them wants to go and buy a farm and That's one of right. them wants to like go and make, make it big as a businessman or whatever. So yep. it's it's basically like them wanting to get their freedom and along the way it's this big fucking shaggy dog story where they sort of stumble across... Um, all this random shit that sidetracks them. Yep. So the Man of Constant Sorrow thing is they stumble across this like uh, guitar player at a crossroads, which is just Robert Johnson. Yep. Uh, but they call him like Timothy Johnson, but it's Robert Johnson, right. the famous blues guitar player who famously went to the crossroads at midnight to sell his soul to the devil to, to, play to, play, to be able to play guitar. Blues, yep. And this guy is like, I sold my soul to the devil to play the guitar. I'm like, oh, well, this- yeah. <laughs> why they bother changing the name? Yeah. <laughs> So they meet Robert Johnson and then they go and they go and record a song with him at a radio station because they're like, oh, it's a guy over there. I'll pay $100 to sing into a tin can. Um, and they're hustling everyone they meet. So the dude that runs the radio station is blind. So there's three of them, but they say there are seven of them and stupid shit like that. Yeah. All yep. sorts of stuff. Uh, they get baptized in the river as they meet this like weird religious right. cult. There's like a robberies and shit that they get, they get tangled up with. Uh, it's almost a bit... It's not, but it's a bit big fish in the way it has yeah. this larger-than-life, uh, fun, fantastical relationship with the truth. Yep. So you've got this weird, twisted version of Robert Johnson. You've got this twisted version of Babyface Nelson, who is a famous gangster from back in the day who appears in this movie, that they sort of get wrapped up with and help him rob a bank. Mm. Um 
and there's all these sort of twists and turns that happen as they get on their way to finally getting where it is that George Clooney's like buried this treasure. Right. And that's right. basically the whole movie is like what would be a very simple a very simple through plot for them to follow with in typical combo the style getting sidetracked and fucked around at every possible twist. The and minor turn. characters almost are the story themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. there's there's like six or seven little like minor character setbacks throughout the movie. Yeah, sure. Where you're like, oh my god, another one. Yeah. Uh, no, I really enjoyed it. What'd you watch, boy? Uh, I watched Alien. Um, I watched this with uh, a <laughs> friend of the show and previous guest, Zach. I've been meaning to see it at the cinema for ages. Had you not seen it? I had seen it. I watched it with you. The only time I've ever watched it uh, in your family house. All right, was that the one the where the address I was... of which is? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I remember watching it at my place at some point, and it being really, really scary because right. I watched it when I was about twelve. So if you were in on that viewing when I watched it when I was about twelve. Real scary, I remember it being. I d- no, I I don't think I found it particularly scary at all. Um, yeah, and it didn't really... I mean, it's a little bit like uh, The Exorcist now for me, where it just hasn't really... Like, its horror hasn't really aged very well. But mostly, I think it's like... What I really loved about it is that it's the... Um, strongest i think the strongest production design i've ever seen in a film maybe like it's a it approaches like star wars for how good everything looks yeah how much every single bit of every set tells more of the world's story i remember using it as an example when we were doing the captain marvel movie yeah and you were upset about her dropping on an alien planet and seeing all these VCRs and shit and not being very surprised by it. Right. I remember you using alien as an example of like a way to shoot like dropping in on an alien planet. Yeah, where they, everything's a threat. They don't know what anything does. They make yeah. this big fucking mistake about what... Like they're, they're like, oh, there are these weird egg things and one of them gets close to the egg things and then, yeah, you fucking died. Like, yeah, it's... um. It's a great movie. It's got a really good soundtrack. Um, it's got uh, wonderful, just I don't know. It's it's beautifully shot. I actually don't know who the the cinematographer was, and I'm not. Gonna you know, look it James up now, Cameron directed it. Uh, the first Alien movie. Yeah. Incorrect. Ridley Scott directed that motherfucker. Oh yeah, maybe he wrote it. James Cameron has something to do with it. Nope. Uh, the writers were Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Dan O'Bannon James Sorry, fucking brother. Cameron James did Cameron something. directed Aliens The sequel okay, And then fine. David Fincher Directed Alien 3 Rewind You know James Cameron Didn't direct nah, that We are not editing that <laughs> out <laughs> oh, I fucking Look thought this that was fucking true. movie idiot um, No he directed the sequel Yeah Fuck you Yep Yep Cool do you, do you want to, say about do you want to double fact check it? Oh, I'm Googling it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep talking about Alien while I don't listen. <laughs> cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's got wonderful like sound design. I think mostly just yeah, if you right. watch this movie. Yeah, I know I'm right. So if you just watch <laughs> this movie, watch this movie for the aesthetic. Um, it's still really suspenseful. I think... I'm going to watch this movie for James fucking Cameron. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver <laughs> is... Um, like just perfect casting. She's got uh, her and and Ripley are like in, inseparable now. Um, <laughs> but there's also this great cast of characters around, like Tom Skerritt, John Hurt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, Ian Holm, and uh, Yafet Koto as like the supporting crew. Just do such John a Hurt fantastic well. job. Yeah, and like John Hurt, kind of the most minor character, <laughs> like plays a very significant role, but. Um, 
Mostly, I uh, the, my favorite of the supporting characters are Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Koto playing these two like <laughs> trucker guys who the whole time are obsessed <laughs> with like getting their bonus and getting like paid correctly. Yeah. Um, they play these. It's like almost funny at first. Um, and I feel like they really. I don't know. There's this. Um, the the video game Starcraft introduced this like uh new. They brought this like new kind of aesthetic to this like to these alien worlds and of like. They brought this new aesthetic to the idea of, like, a space marine, like, a space soldier, that they made them, like, rednecks. They made the soldiers <laughs> these, like, woo, let's go get them, yeah! Well, it's the same uh, sort of classist shit that happens in the actual military. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, of course, of yeah. course. Um, but then, like, it was funny seeing these guys in this sci-fi movie where they're, like, these, like, um, baseball cap wearing, cigarette smoking, like, uh, what's in it for me kind of um, maybe, characters. Maybe that often, almost, like, offers, like, a sense of homeliness and familiarity to these, I think it does. To these characters yeah. that would otherwise be this weird foreign kind of... Well, and it's the opposite of that sort of Starship Troopers. Obviously, there's, like, 20 years between those two movies, but yeah. that Starship Troopers thing where, like, everyone's part of the military force and they're all, like, ready to die. Yeah. These guys are like, I'm not dying for this shit. Like, yeah. they see this distress beacon and they're like, I... That was not in my fucking contract. If you want me to go and look at that beacon, I, I want to be paid extra. Yeah. And then the, the one of them is like, it was absolutely in your contract that you probably <laughs> didn't read properly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Have you seen the the, co- yeah. the British comedy Red Dwarf? Yeah, some of it. Well, it re- it, so it, it reminds me because it's 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 a pretty similar kind yeah, of premise they both in terms place of the, in space, yeah. the everyman type thing in space. Yeah, where <laughs> it's, it's basically like a a giant mining ship that yep. goes and mines asteroids. There's some accident that means that the only dude there's one dude left on the whole ship like he was frozen in stasis for some punishment while the rest of the ship died and he wakes up and he's the only dude on the ship but he's this deadbeat grifter don't give a fuck kind of like low life on the ship like he's he's like a layabout but on a spaceship Mm. and I kind of like the idea of that as well because it it gives you that same sense of like familiarity with the character because he was just like some dude who was on a spaceship but just happy to do the bare minimum and cruise along and he was like the janitor or whatever and now he's the captain of this giant ship. Yeah, and everyone else died. Yeah. It's um, it's really good. And like, it's not the same. I mean, like people still say like, I don't know, like my, my, my partner doesn't want to watch it because she's like, oh, isn't it scary? It's like, no, it's not scary. It was made in 1979. It's well, not scary like anymore. As a kid, you know? I found it scary. But now looking back on it, I feel like what it did very well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is it conveys and really maintains this sense of suspense yeah. in a really effective way that sort of keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. So I sort of felt tense the whole time I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, it's very and tense. I, sort of, I finished the movie feeling like absolutely wired. Yeah, like walking around my dark house at night, like really, really, like freaked out. Yeah, and it does one of the like the I think even the like my world building comments earlier extend even to devices that are actually used in the film. Like I think the motion detector from Alien is extremely iconic now. Um, the way that it like the noise that it emits and the fact yeah. that it, it'll only give you like a 2D representation of how close something is to you is really creepy and on this 3D spaceship. And that sort of thing where it doesn't quite explain like, all right, this is a motion detector and this is how it works. It's no. like, it shows you like visually and yep. because you're smart, you understand what's happening. I think one of the... So this movie opens with this crawl of um, a spaceship. It's almost like a Star Wars like level. <laughs> like in that it just shows that... And it's model work. Great model Star work. Star Wars, but with spaceships, not words. No, no. Well, it also kind of opens with a few words, but it's like <laughs> it's like 12 words. And it's like um, uh, ship name, Nostromo, uh, brackets, like towing freighter. 
And then it's like, okay, cool. So this is a tow truck in space. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. And that's all you fucking need to know. I don't need to know the entire backstory of the Nostromo. I don't need to know all of the backstories. I don't need to know why a character is nicknamed a certain fucking thing. Like... I'm I'm so sick of this idea that you need to know all of the backstory of every single character. Well, just the like, idea that it, it's that's a, not good writing. Just the good idea that writing means that I don't feel like I need <laughs> to know that stuff. It's frustrating when they feel like it has to be articulated verbally. Exactly. Or in any way, really. Like That like, was what was annoying yeah. about Tenet, was there's all this detailed bullshit that they felt like they had to explain. And they were like, yeah. no, just show me. Like, if you want to like show me... Solo this is, is the most yeah. criminal one for me. Yeah. Well, if you want to show me this is a motion detector, don't say it's a motion detector... Have them out and scared, and then see a blip go by, and it's a cat. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. They're like, oh, I understand immediately what this thing yeah. is. Now. And like one of the characters gets killed because they use the motion detector incorrectly. Where, um, yeah, it's the cat, and then is that the, oh yeah, there you go. Right, yeah. it's the cat, and then the cat the, because they're all so scared, the cat runs away, and they're like, well, we got to fucking catch the cat because otherwise this is gonna happen again, and it's just gonna set off the motion detector again. So we got to find it. And then one of the characters goes off by themselves to find the cat, and yeah, ends up getting killed. Like, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a movie that's sort of, the aliens, it's 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 a little bit like Jaws, the alien's not on screen for that much time. Yeah. It's a con- It's not like it only shows up halfway through the movie, but it's a, uh, pretty close to, it's just this constant threat. Um, and it is one of those, like, I guess it's not, uh, it probably didn't invent the idea of like, all of the cast being slowly hunted down. But it's a great execution, and it made me excited to um, watch the next two in the series. I've never seen um, any of the other ones. I know I've watched Aliens. I don't think so I've ever watched Aliens. Aliens 3. Yeah. So what's insane <laughs> about this, and that people don't Gemini. know too much about this, because I feel like I learned this recently. Right. Um, James Cameron, obviously one of the bi- <laughs> obviously one of the biggest directors in directed Aliens, in the directed the the sequel Aliens, <laughs> and then David Fincher directed uh, Alien Three. I didn't know that. Right, so it's you've got three massive names attached to the first three films in this uh, series, and I think that's enough to get me excited for a, for two sequels. Yeah. Like, ordinarily, I would never be watching the second or third in a s- sort of sci-fi sequel trilogy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The weird thing, I heard the way the Aliens 3 ends is that you find out that Ridley and the alien were the same person the whole time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Is that a reference to another third movie? It's a reference to Fight Club where that's the... Oh, David Fincher. Fight Club. Right, David right, Fincher right, directed right, Fight Club right. and David Fincher also apparently directed Aliens 3. That alien's head is in a box at the end and Ridley's like, what's in the box? <laughs> um, you can yeah. figure out which movie that's a reference to on your own. Yeah. Not you, but the listener. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so aliens. Hey, that kind of reminds me of the thing a bit and the way you're talking about it. Yeah, and you know what? There's so many good um scenes with like blue light shining through a doorway with shitloads of mist. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is so John Carpenter. I'm gonna watch yeah, the thing again. It's Fuck really yeah, that was sick. an awesome movie. Um it looks this movie looks great. We saw this weird director's cut edition, so I was as I said, I saw it with Zach and he's seen this movie a bunch, and there were a few moments in this movie where he was like, I've never seen that before. That's cool. So we, we got a few little extra scenes. There's this one moment where um Ripley sort of descends into this hellish 
orange sequence where she finds some of the other crew members like strung up almost in this like larval situation where the right. aliens like using them as like brooding That's creepy. things. Right. And it's so orange and she's got the flamethrower. It's clearly, I think, meant to be this like, yeah, hellish descent. Um, right before her escape, and I don't think I've ever seen that before. No, and, I've only um, seen this movie once when I was about fourteen. I got to watch it again. Yeah, it's it's good. It sounds it's, like you're saying it doesn't. It holds up though. It's good. Oh, it really holds up. Yeah, uh, I was really impressed by the cinematography. I was really impressed by the world building, um, and the storyline. It's so fucking simple. It's so simple. Yeah, uh, and it works so well. Like a little because, bottle episode. Yeah, I, I think the art of like a movie with an. It's almost like John Wick, but that's probably. It's probably. Managing to do it better than John Wick, like the world building in John Wick is excellent as well, though I know what you mean. Right, but it's this—it's a simple story, very simple concept, very simple plot, amazing aesthetic, and very stylized, highly stylized. Yes, exactly. And the and the the this like this would have been one of the most fun, honestly, production designers. Uh, it would have been the most fun that a production designer could have because they had to build these sets that were so cohesive, so beautiful, had such such thought go into them. Like, every set in this movie is better than most sets that you see in an entire film these makes, days. Makes you wonder whether maybe they just had to build like an entire fucking ship. Basically. Like with stuff like yeah. the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars. You're like, did you just have to build the entire Millennium Falcon to scale so they could run around yes, and shit like that? probably. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would have been, there would have been so much of the ship built. Mm. Um, the performances are really excellent. Uh, <laughs> you made a face like you were going to be like, not great. No, no, they're, they're really good. Um, there's a few like dodgy... Uh, um, post like lines done in post where you can clearly see that that's not what the character said i hate that you've pointed that out to me (laughs) yeah um but like uh, yeah an excellent movie really worth your time to go back and watch uh and like i said made me made me keen to see right um it's also like a fully orchestral score which is interesting because i think a lot of modern sci-fi uses like a lot of synths yeah right where so it was interesting to hear that like in my head it's not an orchestral score that's weird yeah but it is so i think that's something if you if you're uh, (laughs) you know what i don't believe you (laughs) so if you're looking i mean it probably does have synths maybe but um yeah if you're looking for a reason to go back and watch it, I would listen to it did for the Predator sound. did that as well? I think there was another movie we watched that Maybe. did that as well. It was like a, it was weirdly all orchestral. I think Predator did that. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. Great. Yeah. Cool, Alien. Cool, cool movie. Well, is it, uh, speaking of very simple, easy to follow plots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> should we move on to... Let's get into it. Heat. Yeah. Double M, double N, mumanana himself. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Michael Mann. Heat. Let's, 1995. Uh, we finally watched it. We did. We finally saw it. So, let me give a little plot overview, a synopsis from uh, Leturbox. I'll see you in three hours, bro. Yep. Uh, a Los Angeles crime saga. Obsessive master thief Neil McCauley leads a top-notch crew on various daring heists throughout Los Angeles, while determined detective Vincent Hanna pursues him without rest. Each man recognizes and respects the ability and the dedication of the other, even though they're aware their cat and mouse game may end in violence. Wow, man, you're getting me excited for it already. Yeah, Fuck, man. This is such a good movie. So, the, <laughs> uh, uh, Michael, w- one of the reasons why this is such a fucking good movie, and I think we both, right off the bat, really loved this film. It was awesome. Uh, way more than I expected to. I just thought it was going to be some dumb 90s movie. Oh, yeah. Movie. This is not some dumb... Uh, dumb 90s action movie. It's um, 
what Michael Mann does so excellently, and one of the reasons why this film is as long as it is, is that he takes the time to make you give a fuck about... So, Neil McCauley is this thief. He's the That's best Robert in his De game. Niro's That's character. Robert De Niro's he's character. He's basically like a, a gritty version of Danny Ocean. Like, he's running these yeah. elaborate, very well-planned heists. Yeah. You only see him do one or two, but he'll do, like... He'll rob banks and find vaults and shit like that and rob them, and he assembles a crew and plans everything perfectly, and he's very careful and he lives and by this rigorous. motto of never... Basically, never own or care about anything that you're not willing to walk away from in 30 seconds if the cops show up. So he's single. They do a really good job of... uh, (laughs) He has this beautiful house by the ocean and this beautiful kitchen. And his kitchen has all these glass cupboards. And all he has is like four plates, four bowls, and four... He's bought a set. He's bought at like some point. one small dinner set from IKEA, yeah. just so he can have four plates, four mugs, and four sets of cutlery. Yeah. And you know, and that's only, it. only one of them is ever getting used. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, he it, lives minimally. He is ready to ready to drop everything at all times because. Uh, so like he doesn't have any personal relationships really. He doesn't no. like have any friends. No, he's just he's this got people he trusts, uh, and even then. Um, yeah. But yeah, but what that does is, and 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 why that is, is because he's so good at this shit. He plans <laughs> only jobs that he knows that, uh, like he, you know, he he's he's so such a master of his craft, and that's what makes his character so entertaining to watch. Yeah, he's this detached, cold, calculating master of these criminal. Heists. And I really love the way the movie takes the time to sort of show you that. Yeah, exactly. Like it shows It's you what makes you give a fuck about him yeah. as a character. Like I think the movie opens with them stealing the ambulance. I think and so, yeah. There's that whole sequence with the like 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 a tow truck and all this shit. Yeah. Where yeah. like it shows you like them planning the heist from like doing the heist from like beginning to end and how meticulous they are and how mm. well planned everything is mm. almost in the same way as Ocean's Eleven does that stuff where you think shit's going wrong right. and it's actually going just the way they wanted um, and so conversely on the other side of things yeah, right, you've got uh, Al Pacino's character uh, Vincent Hanna Detective Vincent Hanna who is sort of an, uh, his perfect match you know um He's like Where just as dedicated as exactly. a policeman. He is the embodiment of like the hunt. He's a predator, uh, and he he is defined by his ability to hunt these guys down, to anticipate their movements, and figure out what they're planning next, and to cut them off at the pass. And he's equally he's like equally dedicated to his job to the complete. To, to Detriment the, of all of his relationships. Like he's right. had, he said he's been divorced like three fucking times. Yep. His wife is like openly cheating on him with some other dude. Yep. Um, he just spends all of his time at the office and like getting up at three o'clock in the morning to go and find some dude or like staying at the office till midnight to like stake out some yeah. dude's house. And his life's mission isn't to find Neil McCauley. Neil McCauley's just the target that he set his sights on over the course of the film. His life's mission right? is to like find every criminal ever. Yeah. He just these guys that seem to beat everyone else. And I like that's how that's who he locks onto. Yeah. I like how like these two dudes are clearly fucked in the way that they've sort of set themselves up. Like Neil McCauley's aim is to just keep robbing people forever and always get away with it forever. Yeah. Which is obviously never going to happen. And so these and are based on real characters. Yeah, actually. right? Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Neil McCauley was a real robber. Right. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, Michael Mann. I, I can't remember if Vincent Hanna was a real detective. Oh, but there I, was I think some, I did see he was like an amalgamation of like of a few different yeah. people. But uh, Neil Macaulay was a real guy. That's cool. Um, well, then yeah. So then, the, the Vince, uh, what's his name? Vincent Hanna. Uh, Vincent Hanna's character is similarly like his aim is to like track down every single criminal ever and yeah. always catch them and lock everyone up, which is also similarly completely unachievable. So it's this like they're like yin yanging each other. And they are. That's that's what's so compelling about this movie is they 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 sort of balance each other perfectly to the point yeah. where you there's no this movie has you don't know who to root for almost like you're rooting for both of them right. So Edie, who uh, th- there's a there's a character called Edie um, who is like Robert De Niro's kind of love interest that comes in a, a later a little later on in this movie. And when they were casting her, I'm just trying to find who. Um, who played her, but I can't quite find it. Sorry. I'm on it, boy. Keep talking. Uh, Amy Brennan, Brennan, Amy Brennan said, uh, <laughs> when she initially read the script, she didn't like it because to quote, uh, everyone was a monster. There was too much blood and there was no morality. And I think that's really key. And Michael Mann immediately said, no, you're perfect for the role. That's exactly <laughs> how you should feel as a character. Because yeah. the script really doesn't make any judgments or morality, uh, moral, uh, it doesn't cast any moral aspersions on either of these characters. They only make choices. And the way that man, the thesis that man had for this movie is every person is a a universe unto themselves. That's what he said. So each person lives within their own kind of like realm and makes their own choices and has their own reasons for living the way that they do and making the choices that they do. And you don't have the full picture. You get to kind of see them act in the moments that we see them in. And it feels like the characters are very fleshed out in a way where you don't yeah. get to see all of it. Right. And and so what that means is, there's, as you say, there's no good or bad guys. You're just watching these two people who are masters of their craft do battle against each other. Yeah. It's how I imagine it must feel if you actually know what chess, like how to play chess, <laughs> how it must feel to watch two grandmasters play against each other, how exciting it must be, where you're like, I don't care who wins, but fuck, imagine the thinking that they're doing behind yeah. those in the little fucking heads. Um, and that's what makes <laughs> it so exciting is like every move is like, a, oh, they're doing that. Holy shit. Um and it's so much fun to watch. And on top of that, we have these amazing performances by both Pacino and uh, De Niro at the core of the so film. So good. De Niro is very understated in a way where he sort of always is. Yeah. But Al Pacino's performance in this movie is so we hyped gotta up. We've got to talk about Al. On cocaine. Yeah. In, he, in he, the way he performs. It's so good. We'll probably cut... I, I want to cut in a bunch of like his lines <laughs> in this movie at this point, just to show you how there's this one very famous quote where he talks about asses um, <laughs> that I feel is kind of almost like reductionist of his character. <laughs> Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass! And you got your head all the way up it! He just has these wild moments... Every now and then, that are like, um, that sort of are just him snapping for little bits of time. Mm. Um, where, uh, yeah, like a character is like, Man, I could get killed for telling you this. And he's like, You get killed walking your doggy. You understand what I'm saying? I get killed for telling you this shit. Killed walking your doggy. <laughs> where he's, he's, what he's actually saying is like, 
yeah, you can get killed anytime. So fuck you. Just tell me. Yeah. You know, but it's like he's it's so out there. He's just got some of the craziest lion readings. Who? 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 Were you a fucking owl? It's um, like Robert De Niro's at seventy percent and Al Pacino's at one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, like the whole. It's movie. like De Niro's at one hundred percent, playing a very understated character. Yeah. But then, yeah, Al Pacino's at one hundred fifty <laughs> all the time. And like every interview he ever gives, he's like, "I've never said this in an interview before, but my character—it's not in the script of my character—does uh, cocaine." And he <laughs> says that he says it like that in every interview, which yeah. is very funny. You saw a guy on the street who's an ex-con. Right. Well, I am over fucking well. What do you want for that? A junior G-man badge? I don't know. There's such a fucking energy, and his he has such a an well, it, unwavering focus. It's very in the it's film. very manic, and you sort yeah. of you sort of get there because he's so tense all the time, and all the scenes he's in are so tense. You sort of understand why he's bursting out like this all of a sudden so frequently. Don't waste my motherfucking time. Because he yep. has to like release all this manic energy, and you really get that out of him in a way. Where I feel like, I feel like everything Robert De Niro does in his everything Robert De Niro's character is doing in the movie feels very easy to him, right? And it feels like everything Al Pacino's character is doing is so fucking difficult all the time because he has to work through all these like. Uh, all this bureaucracy and shit, and he has to work with all these people who are morons, and he's a genius, right? In a way where, like, I can sort of understand why he's flipping all the time. I, yeah, it's um, he's sort of always one step ahead. Um, and he's met this guy that's sometimes one step ahead of him. Yeah, uh, he's used to being one step ahead, and now he's always one step behind. Yeah, yeah, and I also read that like he part of the wildness of his performance is um. He always does his best to keep everyone that he's... It's a strategy that he employs to keep everyone that he's against uh, off balance. Um, I think Pacino (laughs) said he wants to prevent them from ever setting foot on terra firma. So sometimes the way that he acts so fucking unpredictably and wildly, he's actually... To make the people he's acting against uneasy. Also feel that way. Like, you never know what this guy's going to do. And so you sort of just try to control the situation and act normally, and he's actually trying to throw you off in that way. (laughs) And it really feels like that. He's such a fucking lunatic. I love him so much. Wild line delivery, man. Uh, It's one of it. This might be my favorite performance in a film ever. (laughs) He's he's, he's awesome. Honestly, like I feel like you know how much like I don't know. I I loved watching Jim Carrey like chew up a fucking role in Ace Ventura. Um, when I was a kid, and this feels like the adult version of that, where he got yeah. to let just as loose, but it's such a more interesting character. <laughs> um, yeah, so wonderful, and I, I think also like pulling, like zooming out a little bit from those two characters specifically, the overarching storyline, sort of, and the the whole shape of the script reminded me almost of like a. You know what it reminded me of, and I hate this because I don't like this movie nearly as much, but it reminded me of Romeo plus Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, funnily enough. Uh, In that the script has a very, like, it's described as operatic, but it's got a very, like, grand quality to it where it's this, like, um, larger than life, these two characters, like, these two... um, huge characters like smashing against each other um, and seeing all of these supporting 
all of these supporting characters and all of their fates intertwined with the pursuits of these two main characters. It's got a very, like, I'd say a very Shakespearean quality to the, to yeah, the script. Yeah, I sort of see what you mean, yeah. Um, it's almost like these two could be from rival families, you know, and, like, um, have always had this battle. Like, there's some ancient gripe there that they that they have to... That these are the, the prodigal sons meeting once again or something. It feels like a tale that's older than the characters themselves, yeah. and I really love that. Um, and there's some sort of like we'll get into it a little bit because <laughs> I was about to be like just like West Side Story, but that's that's also Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think that matters, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it it does have like obviously there's two male figures and it's not quite a romance between them, but um, it's like an obsession in the in the yeah, in the same kind of intense yes, way. Yeah, yes, it's that level of intensity, and I'm sure there's another Shakespearean script that we're not aware of that fits better into whatever <laughs> the fuck this thing is, but. Um, you know that yeah, the the rise and the downfall and the pacing of it all feels very um, very epic. You know, yeah. yes, in like an you know in yeah almost a, a Grecian way or yeah like a Shakespearean way. No, I mean it's, it's fucking epic, bro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Rick and Morty, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, and it just I don't know that man. That, that's why this isn't just another dumb '90s action movie. Is because it's 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 operating on that scale. Of and that ambitiousness of the the storyline, yeah. and, and it and it it's a really like thoughtful script. It puts a lot of time into the development of not only the main characters, but also you you watch these tangents of the supporting characters, um, and so yeah. you get this world fleshed out. There's uh, so much going on in this movie, and I love how how many details he gives you for all these characters and all the sort of the motivations. Like I, I like how detached Al Pacino's character is from his personal life. Yeah. But then when you have that scene where there's a bit of a, a bit of a problem he has with Natalie Portman's character later in the movie, yep. how you can see how how his very driven personality makes him handle that situation perfectly. Yeah. In the right kind of way. You're like, oh he's it's, he's not a family man, but when he needs to, when there's a fucking situation, he applies himself. <laughs> and you're almost frustrated that he's not like that more for his family. You're yeah. Like, Fuck you can do it when you give a well, shit. Well it bro. doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he's doing that because it's family. It feels like he's doing that because of who who did that <laughs> you know like who who did that to his family member matters way more than the fact that it happened yeah you know? well, yeah and he's he's clearly so f- fucking hell bent on like justice as his main motivation like there's a scene in that shootout after the bank yeah where Val Kilmer I think oh it's one of the it's not Val Kilmer's character it's one of the one of the bank robber characters runs away and holds up a child as a human shield Right, right. And Al Pacino, right. without even blinking, like picks up a machine gun and fires at the guy. Yep. Missing the child by like an inch. Oh, actually, he fires one shot. Yeah. It's one shot. Uh, very carefully. Yeah. He's surgical. But just the idea that you would even dream of even taking that shot. Like, he doesn't. Right. It's like he doesn't stop and think, oh, it's a child. I'm, I might miss. He just goes, picks up, bam. But I, I think you're. Uh, that's interesting. I, I see where you're going, like but he's also. brutal in, in the that way that. Scene, it like time slows down and it all like it all lines up perfectly for him and it takes a second you know so i feel like he's i feel like for me that that that's showing the the speed he's operating at is so much faster and so of course he's going to take the fucking shot yeah. but he's never going to miss you know and that's a very sort of grecian legend yeah, kind of yes. epic yes. kind of thing as Every well. Every arrow like, f- 
every arrow strikes true, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. like, you know he's going to hit, but it's still this big fucking tension. But he's the only man who could do that. Yeah. 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 That's, it's like what, a, that's what like, seems cool It's just cool like Achilles shit. Right. Um, right. What do you think? I, I have. I oh, also, this movie was fucking beautiful. Uh, I was shot by the same guy that shot Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, of course, it was. Uh, fuck me, right? Um, yeah. You looked it up. and You're like, no, there's got to yeah, be something yeah, else. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I, I found a few of my notes here that I wrote right after I went out of the cinema. Um, what do you think about the idea? I, I wrote here that I feel like it's almost stunt casting to cast Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in these two lead roles. But then I like... It's almost self-aware because you've got these two epic, heroic-level kind of characters that almost have to be played by these two Hollywood legends. Well, and then yeah. it makes you wait for fucking ages yep. to see them on the screen together. Like that scene and in, in the... An, and in an absolutely iconic scene, which is the scene in the That scene in the diner where they finally meet up yep. is so... So well placed. So there's a and scene it's where... This, it's like, it's a, almost a, this release. character pulls over he's he's tailing uh de niro's character and he pulls him over and instead of arresting him on the spot because they haven't got him for shit yeah uh he says hey let's just you and me go get coffee and de niro's like all right and so they go and (laughs) yeah and so they go and get coffee and they sort of just talk like you know just to do human to human um, and they're very candid, remarkably uh, candid about what their respective roles are yeah. and how neither of them can, uh, neither of them will or can really back down. And, and I like that they're like, I really respect you and I really respect you. Right. And he was like, but given the choice, bro, I'm definitely going to kill you. Like if it comes down to you or me, I'm, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah, and he's exactly. like, no, I'll kill you too. Yeah. So, and, and it's like the next time we meet, it's going to be whoever shoots first. Mm. You know, yeah, and I think that also feels very Shakespearean. Like, there's so many scenes in Romeo and Juliet where um, I can't remember the name of the John Leguizamo's character. <laughs> I don't know who <laughs> that is. What the fuck ever? The guy that plays the main antagonist from Juliet's family. Oh, Whatever. Um, the antagonist. Juliet's like cousin or whatever. The antagonist Tybalt and maybe. the protagonist meet, and they and they and they're just talking about how much they hate each other Kushio? or whatever. No, he's the uh, supporting character, matter, the, the, the empathetic point. Yeah. Um. But they, you know, the, just the the where the antagonist and the protagonist meet and talk and aren't, uh, y- you know, it's just this opportunity for them to really get to almost get to understand each other better or uh, or acknowledge each other in a way where they're not in conflict. It's quite bizarre. Yeah. It's sort of this. It's sort of like hitting pause on the story and letting the characters just talk for a second, um, which just doesn't really happen very much in films. It's almost that very sort of camp thing that happens in old spy movies, where the baddie has like James Bond chained up and says like, "Let me explain to you my evil plan," and they have mm. like a bit of a back and forth, and they go, "The thing about you is this, and the thing about you is this." It's it's almost that. Yeah, but it feels a little bit different because. That they're, because they're so equally placed. Yeah. And neither... Like a, a lesser man would have flipped out and tried to shoot the other one almost. But because they're so yeah. high up on the thing, they're like... They're st- they've both thought so far ahead that they're like, all right, let's go get coffee. Right. And and there's no secrecy. There's no pretense around yeah. it. There's no like... Uh, one of them's pretending like they don't know, but they actually do. They both know that they know that they are who they are, right? Yeah. It's, it's all... All the cards are on the table in front of them. Yeah. That's what's so interesting about this scene is... You don't, I've never seen anything like that. Any, anything constructed no, like that in the movie No, I don't think so. Before. 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, maybe we've seen it and not known that this well, is what it was a nod to, but I think you'd recognize it now. It's a bit like that Batman and Joker scene, but Batman's beating the shit out of Joker. So you don't get that equal match. Right. There's no... Yeah, that's 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 what makes it so fucking interesting. Like, I think with Batman and Joker, they're both, like, emotionally... and maybe like the as characters. Dark Knight interrogation scene. Yeah, they're both, like, as characters equally matched. Yeah. But there is still that power imbalance because Batman can beat the shit out Which of Which doesn't Joker. really happen in this no. movie, you know? Yeah, and interestingly enough that you reference The Dark Knight, because this is the movie. So now I want to touch on a couple of the references that this movie has inspired, because it's way more seminal than I thought. Um, it's So it, it it's most famous, perhaps, to people of our generation for inspiring the opening bank robbery scene of The Dark Knight, where they're wearing the masks uh, yeah. and robbing a bank, and obviously, like... It goes a little differently in The Dark Knight to how it does in Heat. Um, but there's a famous bank robbery scene in Heat where the uh, characters are all wearing hockey masks. And they, yeah. there's four of them and they run into a, into a bank and um, they've sort of got three minutes to get out of there before the, before the Heat arrive. Oh. Um, it's also t- uh, the absolute inspiration for the Payday games, which are pretty massive video games, uh, particularly Payday 2. Um, even to the point where like, you can tell that the soundtracks and the feelings of those games... So those are games <laughs> where you play part of a four-man squad like uh, of bank and robbers, yeah. and you have to do exactly the type of shit that they do in this movie, like set up a drill and hold off the police and yeah. <laughs> whatever. And it's got this like kind of like tense drum based soundtrack that I realized when I was watching this film I was like why do I feel like I've seen this before and it's because these payday games are yeah. so lovingly crafted to replicate the sensation of these films that they've even taken the style of the soundtrack that is cool uh, it's really sick also there's a scene in uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 that emulates the tow truck scene at the start um, there's so many scenes from or either scenes like inspired or illusions that are inspired by, this, by. Yeah. especially it's such a video game movie because uh, there's so many like it's almost like it's almost asking for mechanics to be built around it like the wanted level in GTA <laughs> you know I think um, it's almost like a it's it could almost be like a giant TV series as well with how much different content is well, in it was, this movie well I think it was initially written to be part of a TV series and then was scrapped and adapted to uh, a, right. a, a film script because the well is so huge it could almost be like a whole book or yeah. like a whole se- a whole thing I've got a few no I, I did like them both being cast together I thought it was I thought it was interesting that because both characters are larger than life it's interesting that it sort of almost calls attention to and deliberately draws attention to the fact that they have these two big stars on screen right and they were each their first preferences for those roles so yeah. and I think one of them signed on first I think uh, Pacino signed on first and then as soon as De Niro learned that Pacino was doing it he was like yeah I'll do it or something like that like yeah. it was you know it, it, it took one of them to get both of them Yeah. Um, so I don't know I suppose in a way it probably was stunt casting but I, I, I like how me, it works it's weird that it works yeah yeah I think they're just so perfect for the characters like De Niro yeah. is that sort of restrained almost psychopathic like it's almost his taxi driver character you know where it's <laughs> I've got to watch it's so driver. cold and withdrawn and uh like not attached to anything obviously yeah. his character grows a lot and changes and that's not the constant dynamic because yeah. that would be too two-dimensional for this film but but he is perfect for it and Pacino being this like warm charismatic like explosive uh powerhouse of a character fits Hannah's 
character and and arc so well that he's got these like sensitive moments and he's really introspective, but yeah. he feels almost like predestined to meet these conditions of his life. Um, yeah, yeah, well, I loved it. I liked it as well. Without spoiling anything, mm. um, I was thinking about gripes that I had with the movie and things that annoyed me. Not. Just not to fawn about it. Sure, you know? sure. I've got, I, 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 I only remember these because I had them written down and I had forgotten about them because we watched the movie a little while ago, to be honest. But um, yep. in any case, two of the gripes I thought about was just the idea that I remember there were lots of scenes where Vinny's wife like gets all philosophical and talks about how like how empty he is and goes on these Vinny, big long... Vinny, that's Al Pacino's Al Pacino's character. character. On these big long like philosophical diatribes sort right. of like breaking down Al Pacino's character. In a way, I just sort of felt like it broke me out of the movie a bit, and I, d- I sort of didn't feel like I understood why the character would be doing that in that moment. You know what I mean? It she was has a bit- one moment, so it was played by Diane Venora, who does yeah. an excellent job. Like, it was almost a bit too self-aware. She has one. Her dialogue is like very, uh, almost s- sort of sur- surreally poetic. At points where it's yeah, not like and, a normal character And she's the only character speak. that does that. Yeah. And it's, it almost feels like it's trying to be exposition-y or like maybe that the it, it feels like the writer was like, oh, I'm not getting this across at all in the characterization on the page. I'm going to have to like put in a character that says, this is what I'm worried you're, you're like. And then I feel like it was so clearly... She says shit like, um, yeah, you, you, you are what you are hunting or something like that. It's like really elevated Yeah, really dialogue. weird, eloquent dialogue yeah. like that. Where I, feel, I feel like it, it felt like the writer that wrote this... It's Michael Mann. Yeah, I feel like maybe Michael Mann was worried that that wasn't going to come across, and so he wanted to put stuff in there. But it feels out of place in a way where I was like, oh, why are you saying that? That's interesting, because to me that felt like it was like she was the character that in dialogue was closest to the operatic or Shakespearean style. I feel like the rest of the movie felt so grounded. Yeah, you're right. It, she is an anomaly. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like it, it didn't need that. And it was mm. it's very larger than life and dramatic in it, in its own way, but I feel like it didn't that didn't mesh with the rest of the sort of realistic kind of feeling of the movie. Yeah, sure. It is very out of place. I could understand how that would break you out of it. The other I th- personally liked that it made their relationship feel heightened for me, where uh, yeah. it, was sort, it sort of had this really Greek tragedy quality to it, where um, like, you know, they're sort of both like, is this ever, was this ever going to work out? Like, are we kind of, you you know who I am, I know who you are, are we destined to struggle and fail or, or what? Like, what are we? Yeah, fair and, enough. And so I think for me, I, I liked... I, it sort of any, added to the difference between them. Almost any other character doing that, I would have been like, what the fuck was this character doing here? But I think she fits for that role in an interesting way. Oh, fair enough. I but I, but I, I yeah, but I totally get that. I mean, for me, it was a feeling thing. So yeah. if it didn't come across, yeah, uh, sure. I don't do feelings, so I guess that's what... Uh. <laughs> the other one that I had was... I, and this is... A, Quite, quite, quite fittingly, actually, it was about the idea that Robert De Niro is a very cold character who deliberately doesn't get himself tied down to anyone. Yeah, and then he starts this sort of love interest relationship with this girl. Yeah, so he's sort of a, clearly a woman named Edie. It sort of feels like he's trying to trick himself into getting into it. Yeah, and then sure. So I can sort of believe that on the one hand. I can totally believe he feels like because because his two crew are like, I'm gonna go and fucking go to go to Fiji and buy a farm, and the other right. guy's like, I'm gonna go buy my buy my mother house, and they're like, What do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just here to do the the heists and 
He says, like, this is my job. Yeah. He's this like, is ne- all I know how to do. It's like he's never thought that far ahead. It's, it's like the thing about the dog chasing the car in the dark night where he's like, yeah, I wouldn't I would know, know what, what to do, do if, if I, I ever caught it. it. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like I sort of got that from him. Like, he's like, I don't know. Like, I could just steal as much money as I ever could and I wouldn't even know when to stop. He just yeah. keeps going. And so he, he sort of, I guess, I feel like he's sort of being like, oh, I guess i got to get myself a girl. And so he mm. goes on like, fools himself into thinking he wants this relationship maybe I don't understand why she's into it though because it feels like within the world of the movie that's a three hour long movie that sets up all these other relationships that's the only relationship where I don't really understand what's in it for her it does feel a little underdeveloped he's deliberately half-assing this relationship sure and I don't really understand why she's going along for the ride Mm. like he's doing all this stuff like why don't we do this why don't we do this why don't you come away with me to this and she's just sort of like yeah all right. (laughs) <laughs> what do you mean yeah what do you mean alright and that's the only but that's really the only sort of hole I could poke in the movie not that I'm trying to deliberately do it but I wrote it down right after I left the movie as being something that sort of was bugging me a bit it almost feels like if you could humour them to have like a longer runtime, that that would be where I'd put the energy into is like developing yeah. their relationship just a, just a couple of minutes or just put like a couple scenes where if there's like a three weeks later and you've shown that they've been hanging out a lot or whatever yeah like, exactly or, or some moment of bonding between the two of them I, mean, I just didn't feel like I really got that sure yeah I could I could agree with that yeah 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 but um a, a few minor gripes right yeah I think on the whole um the relationships between all the characters are really interesting especially between I particularly like the relationship between, we've already talked about, um, uh, Al Pacino's character and so the the detective and his wife is fascinating because, again, I love how candid he is with everyone. It's almost like he doesn't have time to try and pretend. To beat around the bush. Right. He's just, someone's like, hey, what are we? And he's like, I don't know, let's really fucking just talk about where we're at. Because yeah. it's not like it's going to change if we don't talk about it, and you can almost and sort it's of not live like it's going to change if we do talk about it. So we might as well just talk about it. It's always fun to watch someone be so candid. Yeah, it really shit is. That you wish that you could be that candid and about. It, he doesn't feel emotionless. He just feels almost powerless to do anything about it. He's like, "This is who I am." He feels very. Em- he's a very emotional he guy. Is. It feels like he is to some degree in the way that he's like so dedicated to what he does. Yeah, which is so frustrating that he can't get his family shit. Yeah, I know. I like his relationship with his wife because that's the only human being he feels like he has anything close to a connection to. I guess other than Robert De Niro's character. But I also yeah. really liked the supporting crew of De Niro. Um, yeah, that do a really great job, and that's. Uh, so John Voight, but he, you know, whatever. Um, but Val Kilmer, I don't think I'd ever really seen in a movie before. No, he's, he's Batman. That's all I know. Yeah, I, I don't think I've watched him, but I, don't think um, so I think he. I understood him to be like some shitty eighties movie. He's in Top Gun, as right? Well. Which I've never he's seen. He's Iceman in Top Gun. Uh, and then Tom Sizemore as well um, is really fantastic. Yeah, they're all uh, they're all really good. Yeah, is Tom Sizemore the fat guy? The the bald one, yeah. That's that, funny. Who I wouldn't have... Yeah, sizable. <laughs> um, who I remember as like the colonel guy in Saving Private Ryan. I haven't I think. seen the movie. Um, he's, yeah, just, he's also in Twin Peaks and shit. So, yeah. Um, awesome. Apparently the actors actually learnt how to do all the all the gun shit. Right, and they learnt... Uh, so they learnt in two separate camps. There's sort of the, the, yeah. the, the bank robbers were all trained by like these ex-cons. like ex-cons and stuff. Uh, and SAS dudes, and then the so they had like this paramilitary style training to them, 
and then all of the cops were trained by cops. cop dudes. Um, and so, yeah, that they they have like there's this big, 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 very famous shootout scene uh, with a bunch of bank robbers and. When you see the bank robbers doing bank robber shit, they're handling the guns differently and stuff to the way that all of the cops are handling their yeah. their equipment. And what I liked watch I think we watched the same making of documentary. Mm. Um, what I liked about that is they pointed out like, and yeah, even if you can't see it on screen that they have different fighting styles or whatever. Michael Mann was saying like he found it really important to make the actors feel like they could do it, and yeah. just the idea that you have a like an ex con teaching you how to be a con. It makes he said it instill. He felt like it would instill them with this confidence, where they wouldn't feel like they were sort of playing pretend yeah. with these guns. If they your felt character like needs to like be gangsters, pop up over a car bonnet and shoot at a bunch of people, you're gonna yeah. see the difference. If your character's like, I know how to do this shit, yeah. Versus if your character's like, I'm pretending to know how to do this shit, yeah. Um, Absolutely. This um. Oh, Val Kilmer very proud there was like a retrospective interview that was done like 20 years later where Val Kilmer says because there's an awesome shot that's really a a big extended shot where he's crouching behind a police guy and he pops up with like a machine gun and fires at all these cops and then pops down changes a clip and gets up and fires again all in one take and I think that they they said that they didn't know that he was going to be able to do that all in one take and so they just let it keep rolling right right Um, right and he said that he's, he's heard that like cops uh, cops and military people show that clip in training and be like, if you can't change a clip as fast as this wuss ass a Hollywood actor can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's so cool the way that everyone feels. It feels like it's it's real in a way. And apparently the sound in that shootout scene, yep. all the gunfire is the actual gunfire yeah, they, they recorded they got on to set. Their, they got to their third edit of post-production sound with all of the bullets edited in. And there were, uh, based on the making of thing, yeah. there were 800 to 1,000 rounds per take used. Yeah. And so they, uh, they had replaced... Ostensibly, every sound that you could hear with like sound effects, artificial bullets, or whatever. Exactly, three different editing mixes, and Michael Mann was like, "Oh no, this doesn't sound real at all. Just use the production audio that we got on set. Mm. Just use the real shit." And the production audio is so loud. Yeah, and in the cinema, it was fucking deafeningly loud. Right, because they're shooting out in the middle of like down. It's downtown LA, right? Concrete everywhere, and so there's massive skyscrapers everywhere. So every that what they were saying is every bullet echoed for like eight or ten seconds, and it makes this like horrendous wall of this like impenetrable noise whenever there's more than a couple of guns firing at the same time, and there were hundreds, and so yeah, they 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 just have this. It 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 does take on this like eerie horrifying quality like to the, you wish to it would gunfight. stop and it just never it's does it's almost like a drone made up of bullet noises it's really cool and I think it's a, a clever decision and it fits with the there's no frills attached to all the shit going on in this movie it's it's yeah. really just the authenticity of the action like there's that no really crazy stunts no not really you know, there's like, no like yeah. cars blowing up and shit um yeah, it's very, it's ironically very pared back action. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I think is really, really satisfying. We're, we've got a tiny little spoiled section. Tiny little spoil, spoiler section. Um, when Man was talking about. Is uh, this it? No. Yes. This is it. This is the spoiler section. Spoilers. You've right. been warned. Go okay, and watch cool. this movie. This was really great. Really, really great. Can't, but can't I think these spoilers aren't going to ruin the movie anyway, which is whatever. No, 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 cool. no. Yeah, what um, were you going to say? When. Uh, so, Man talked in this interview about the morality. Um, and I really liked, I think this is one of the things I like so much about the characters and one of the things that lends itself well to there being sort of no judgment 
in the yeah. script yeah. is that the morality of each of the characters is relative. So like Neil's character's downfall, it, it, the moral consequences happen to the characters in the film when they deviate from their own worlds and and uh, approaches to life so like neil's character his downfall his character is incredibly dogmatic and he lets himself get attached to this woman he deviates from that dogma of never get attached to anything ever and that is his downfall right and yeah each character is like that it's like your downfall or each character if characters stick to their way of their modus operandi, then they come out of this narrative unscathed. But I suppose they also can never break out is the problem because Neil is constantly doing the next job and he's looking for a way to finish it and he can't finish it without breaking out of his own mode. Right, so he's kind of cursed, right? Al Pacino is stuck between his family stuff and his work stuff. And when he's forced to pick his family stuff, that completely derails his work stuff. Right. And the reason why he succeeds is that he never... He really... He makes some vague choices, but at the end of the day, he doesn't deviate. He says, this is who I am. This is what I am. Yeah. I hunt down these guys. Yeah. And so he does. And, you know, he will hunt the next one down. So there's this whole sequence at the end of the movie where Robert De Niro is fucking home free. He's got the girl. He's got the money. He's in a car driving out of town. Yeah. And, and he makes this choice. He makes this choice where Al, Al Pacino has the guy that has betrayed Robert De Niro from right at the very start of the movie. Wayne Grow. Why do I remember that? Because it's a dumb, a dumb fucking name. name. And he knows, like, again, like, Robert De Niro, is the, he's shown that, like, he'll, he'll come back and fucking kill this guy that fucked him over just because he fucked him over. Yeah. And Al, Robert De Niro is all the way on the outskirts of town. <laughs> he's doing the Bob Parr thing of, like, I got time. I got time. I got time. <laughs> and you just want it to be like, just go, dude. Just go. Just yeah. go. You're just out. Get leave. out. You're out. Exactly. And then part of him is like, you can see him. And it's this big, long shot of him and his girl just driving out of town in the car for what feels like fucking half an hour. It's not. It's like, it's a lot. It's like this big, it's a 30 second long, long shot sequence, yeah. where you just know he's going to turn around. Yeah. Because it keeps. But you don't know. You're just so afraid. That he's going to. They've been built because you've seen the cops' perspective, where they know like if he turns around and goes to get we've this guy, got him. we've fucking got him. And you watch him turn around in the car. You watch him doing this U-turn. You're like, ah, no, yeah, no. Well, and it, it has this massive sensation of, oh, you, you're fucked. You're fucked. But I mean, there's this whole sequence where he does his own little one-man heist, where he sneaks into the the hotel room that's all where bugged out, where the cops dude. have this guy. Um, Oh, and just the heartbreaking bit at the very end where... And he comes so close to still making it out. Still making it so out. So close. Still getting the girl and the money and getting away. And then there's this sequence where he's sort of... There's Pacino's watching him through crowds and he almost gets in the car, but he realises they're right on him. He realises that Pacino might catch him. Yeah. And so instead of getting in the car with this girl and driving away... He just leaves her he behind. He just leaves her behind and fucking piss bolts in the other direction. Oh, and that moment God. where he runs away... And he looks at her... Knowing that he's about to leave her behind and she doesn't quite know what's going on, but you can see the way that he's looking at her. It, oh, it sort of and just you're like, tweaks. oh, dude, don't do it. Both of their performances are so beautiful in that moment because you can see everything on their face. Yeah. You, you, you know that he, you know how much it's hurting him to leave her behind. And you can see his you can panic. See and he's betraying her right in front of her. You can see when, she, when he walks away that she's like, surely not. Yeah. Surely not. You can see like his panic and his like s- almost like self-loathing and like because he knows it's his fault. 
Oh man, this is such a good fucking movie. Man. That was like like the one of the best scenes in the whole movie. Like right yeah. in that moment where you're like, oh, don't, dude, don't. Well, because ah! a, a lesser movie would maybe have made him get caught in the hotel room, or like let him get away, or, or he would have gotten away with it, right? But it it wouldn't have had that same tragic nature to it. It really is this Shakespearean tragedy. I think it really it. is. I think man is really thinking about it on that level of like, yeah, trying to 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 heighten the stakes, heighten the consequences. Yeah. Um, and heighten the emotion in the whole, in a way that I feel like a lot of films that f- maybe followed this or preceded it yeah. were trying to do and just didn't succeed because there there wasn't well, that the depth. characterization to it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you, if you want to do that, you have to make a three-hour movie. Maybe, yeah. I mean, th- this was so tense the whole time as well. It really yeah. did a good job of doing that and feeling like it could sort of let it breathe to give you some character when you needed to. And yep. really, like uh, that ending scene where they're sort of chasing each other around corners oh, man. in the airfield is so tense. Yep. And I, I genuinely had, had no idea what was going to happen. No idea whether De Niro was going to pop Pacino, whether Pacino was going to pop De Niro, whether they were both just going to die. What? Every no corner, idea. Every corner that they rounded was like, this is it. And yeah. it's not. Oh, man. Perfectly paced. Yeah. This movie was perfectly Wonderful. paced. Maybe the best action movie I've ever seen in a way where like I don't even think of this as like an action movie it's like a no it's action kind of feels like to me it's like it's only action, action whereas this drama. was like such yeah yeah oh man thriller awesome movie. yeah it's um it's it's it is awesome reminds, I really love this movie reminds me a lot of The Fugitive yeah which came after it right I'm not sure so this I guess was, we'll never maybe know. not. Maybe the fugitive was like eighties. I think the fugitive was earlier. But it but the fugitive shares this um shares this same quality same duality and the same two right, characters. Between Harrison Ford's character and Tommy Lee Jones' character. Fugitive was two years earlier. Right, okay. So the fugitive was beforehand, right. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because it feels like this film uh, manages a lot that I don't think the fugitive quite does. The fugitive was really fun. Well, it feels a lot goofier. Right, but much yeah, exactly. Like a lot more cartoonish or like stereotypical. Have in you seen a way. Catch Me If You Can? Uh, yeah, I watched it that one time that we watched it. Right, okay, I think Catch Me If You Can has that same kind of goofy vibe where it's like, ah, look at the crazy shit these characters can get away yeah. with doing. And I feel like The Fugitive does that a lot, and Catch Me If You Can does that a lot. And I think that Tate takes itself like that, like ten percent more seriously. Right. Where it's not like showing off the crazy heisty goofs that the Ocean's Eleven crew can get up to. Yeah. It's like no, nah, this is a fuck. This is really fucking happening. Yeah, it's so realistic. Um, yeah, man, I I I loved this movie. This yeah, is me like too. maybe my favorite action movie, and it's probably like I don't know. It could this movie could crack top ten movies of all time for me. Damn, like it's I really liked it. I thought uh, the performance. Pacino gives off this performance where every time he comes on screen, you're like you're like fuck yeah, more of this dude. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's so yeah. innovating. It's w- just wonderful, and um, I'm excited to even watch it again. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's awesome. I loved it. I loved this movie. So in great. terms of like, I-, I guess like better than worse than like, yeah, this blows the fugitive way the fuck out of the water. Yeah. Um, I don't think we were even that wild about the fugitive anyway. I liked it. It was definitely fun. Good movie. Um, but man, yeah. you'd be upset. <laughs> If you made The Fugitive yeah, and then and this came out two years later, yeah. you're like, well, that's much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't watch many of these gritty kind of no. movies. Like this. What's that What's that one where um, there's the, the, the Martin Scorsese movie with Matt Damon in it? 
Oh, The Departed? Yeah. Yeah, The Departed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think about whether or not you could The Departed is something two. that I've... Yeah, I've heard a lot of people compare to this. So, I think so. Go for it, buddy. I think this. if you like The Departed, this is another good one. I, I think that I would put this up on the same pedestal as The Departed. Right. As The Dark Knight. Um... I liked it as much as I liked Catch Me If You Can and Ocean's Eleven, but they're completely completely different in terms of tone. Yep. Yeah, our best and our better than worst end segments. Fuck this one because I really did like this movie, and I can't think of a movie this is worse. Than no, this has topped almost every other movie that I would compare it to for me. I mean, like the only other one, and this is a bad comparison, but the only movie where I could maybe say that I preferred it to this was Mad Max Fury Road. That's, That's right. like yeah. an, an action movie that that has some thought behind it. But really, I think the plot of this is so much more impressive. Yeah. Because the, like Mad Max Fury Road has a really simple script. Mad it's Max just, Fury Road feels dumber than this. Right. It's Mad Max Fury Road is beautiful world building. Yeah. But it doesn't really have a that complicated like character development really no. or like that same engagement it's all, between it's like the characters. all aesthetic where there's, there's, yeah. not, there's not as much there's aesthetic going it, on but in they just don't have as much of a chance to do that yeah anyway man yeah I mean this this even this has influence from like Shakespeare like Good the Bad and the Ugly like those old spaghetti western films yeah um, but Fuck, it's that's a good better one. than all of them yeah. like I it yeah, it's hard to come up with a movie. The I good think Bad this and the Ugly is a pretty cool comparison. I think this is the best action movie that's been made in a long time, and uh, a lot of movies that have been made since then. I thought that I like you know I I I enjoyed a lot, but this one is better than those. The Dark Knight's pretty fucking good. Yeah, I mean maybe okay, so maybe I'd put Dark Knight above like Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight above this one. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But even then, I think that it draws so much from this that it's more impressive that this one came out like twenty years beforehand. Well, maybe we stumbled across a better than worse then. So we got. Hank I think so. is better than the Fugitive, worse than the Dark Knight. But if you liked the Dark Knight, this is a movie for you it's because so it really feels similar in a lot of ways, and it's clear that Nolan <laughs> was drawing a lot of influence and, from and it. And Batman's in it. You just got to keep watching, keep watching for <laughs> Batman yeah. to pop up in heat. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, you're technically correct. Tell someone. Oh, I, I mean, I was joking, but yeah, tell someone Kilmer, it's a Batman right? movie and be like, no, nah, I'll be like, Batman's in it. No, nah, he's in it. <laughs> hey, he's, he shows up right at the end. <laughs> he's flying one of the planes. Um, yeah, love this movie. Should we leave fuck it there? Yeah. I think that's it. Thanks for joining us for another week on Beef Station. We finally did heat. We Shut did the heat. Fuck up. <laughs> what's what's the what's the outro music this week? Is it just three minutes of gunfire? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to just scream like final a scene. <laughs> nah, it's got to be the Moby cover of Joy Division. <laughs> oh yeah, I completely absolutely got to be. Fuck yeah. Um, fuck, that's such a good song. Yeah, it went oh, really well. Man. Oh, that car chase. It's where all he has good, the, dude. Well, yeah. that, oh, that's so good. Fuck, we can't go back. Yeah, there's so many. Oh, but every meeting awesome. scene with Pacino where he just has this like off-the-wall line. Fuck it, rules. All right. Good. Yep, I'm Watch shut Heat. Up. Yep. All right. Thanks for joining us for another week. Jump on our Facebook page. You can email us if you have any suggestions or anything. Uh, we're sort of slowly running out of... We have run out of new movies to do. So I mean, if you yeah. want to... <laughs> The industry's run out of new movies for us, I think. If there's so. anyone still out there that still cares about what movies we do, email us or send us a message and we will do whatever you want. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. 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 Did we do our names? We didn't. I'm Oscar. No, I'm Andrew. Bye. 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 <laughs>